night we come to Romans chapter 8. And uh, this will finish out the booklets. Tomorrow night, uh, Lord willing, we're going to do an overview uh, through... Uh, PowerPoint. Now, I'm not very techy. <laughs> this is—I have like two PowerPoints. This is one of them. <laughs> uh, but we want to picture all of these details we've been plowing through. There's a lot of detail, isn't it? <laughs> you know, like tonight, there's like 39 verses. <laughs> uh, we'll spend most of our time on the first 14. But uh, you know, it's uh, the nature of what it is. Uh, we've covered a lot of turf, but tomorrow night we'll look at it in pictorial form and take the big pieces and put them together. For many, that just uh, uh, connects the dots, and uh, we'll uh, look at it that way and uh, do some other things as well. Uh, but, but tonight, we're into Romans chapter 8. Now, we started Sunday night with the righteous rain, the key of focus, and uh, uh, reigning in life right now through Jesus Christ, uh, which is an amazing truth. And we looked at uh, the wrong way of thinking, that uh, dirt ball mindset uh, versus the God conscious or Jesus mindset. Then we began to plow through the text of Romans 6, 7, and 8, starting with the foundation in the first 14 verses of Romans 6, that uh, all believers are saints. Remember that? <laughs> uh, we're still right in the midst of all this. Uh, because uh, when you put your faith in Jesus, uh, you were crucified with Christ and died unto sin. You were severed from that old sin master, raised with Christ the new man, God's nature implanted in you, so that the Holy Spirit could then indwell you. And so thus, all saints have been freed to live victoriously or saintly because Christ is the victory. We talked about personalizing that and then making the right choice choices. And in light of that, the next night we dealt with the illustrations at the end of Romans 6 and first part of Romans 7, dealing with leadership, the master-slave relationship, and power or enablement, the husband-wife relationship. And uh, that is uh, a key in our understanding. Who is your leader? Who is your power source? Then last night we got into Romans 7. Here after the Holy Spirit is introduced in verse 6, uh, we see the wrong approach, and thus the Holy Spirit is left out. The rest of Romans 7, as we saw last night, that wrong approach, where there's that law focus that leads to I, 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 or flesh dependence, I cannot do it. Strange, though, when there's law focus, though it leads to flesh dependence, it's done in the name of God dependence. It's a uh, subtle deception. But it's a wrong focus, and it leads people to the discouragement that we saw and the frustration uh, of uh, the end of Romans 7. You see, the focus cannot be on things. It's got to be on a person, Jesus. And when you focus on Jesus, you do the right things. <laughs> but often, we get focused on the things. And uh, again, that's going to come out uh, even tonight in Romans chapter 8. The key is keeping the focus on a person. But when you leave the person out, and it's just law, 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 that leads to I, I, I can't do it. We come to the end of Romans 7. Let's look at it again in verse 24, where Paul says, under inspiration, O wretched man that I am. You know, that's a crisis. In the grids of theology, there's a particular grid that uses the terminology of crisis in this matter of sanctification. That's the crisis. The danger of the word is people are thinking of some experience. The issue is not an experience in the way most people think of it. The issue is the realization all self-hope is gone. That's a crisis. Because for many it means like there's no hope. But the key is going past the I can't to the he can. It's really not crisis sanctification. It's Jesus sanctification. Uh, you got to get past the crisis to the person, the answer, the solution. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that brings us into Romans 8, the right approach, the life approach, the freedom and fruitfulness of spirit reliance. So let's pray again and ask the Spirit of God to open our eyes and help us to revel in the glory land of Romans chapter 8. Lord, we thank you again for the opportunity to meet tonight. Lord, thank you for these that have come night after night as we have walked through this amazing didactic portion of Scripture. Now, Spirit of God, would you once again be our teacher tonight? Open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, connect us to the truth that's gone before. May we see the, uh, the, the simplicity of faith, even though there's the detail of how this all works. And so, Lord, I pray, use the truth to make a difference in our lives and just the practical applications of daily living. Again, Lord, I plead the victory of Jesus through the shed blood. 
Lord, that you would protect us from Satan's attack, who doesn't really in any way want us to understand this. And so, Lord Jesus, again, I claim our position in you on the throne and in your name exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder and trust you once again that that not be allowed. Lord, breathe on us tonight. And Lord, thrill us tonight with what you have provided. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the 90s, I think it was, there was a blog. Back in those days, blogs were the new thing. <laughs> now they're the old thing. Uh, but uh, there was a blog that had become quite popular, and, and it was kind of a, a venue and a platform where a lot of debate took place, and some of the older men in, uh, in the ranks weren't real happy with it, and uh, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of stuff happened in, uh, uh, in all of that. Well, I remember they invited a, a professor onto their program. His name was Robert Delnay. Anybody know the name Robert Delnay? He uh, originally was a professor uh, at Ellie Maxwell School, Prairie Bible Institute, which was one of the institutes that taught the spirit-filled life, uh, sanctification by faith in Jesus. And then uh, he was a professor at Faith Ankeny. So he lived uh, uh, for some years uh, not far from where you are, of course, right here. Uh, then he uh, ended his ministry uh, at Clearwater. Uh, he's with the Lord now. But on this interview, they were talking about Romans 6, 7, and 8 because there's a debate between grids of theology, and I won't go into all that detail uh, and the labels of all those theologies, but there's debate there. And uh, Robert Delney, uh, I believe, had uh, the right theology. <laughs> he had the right understanding, really did. He was uh, very, very helpful. And so uh, the... The, the guy that was the head of the blog was asking him, well, you know, how do you, how do you get into Romans 8? After all of this, um, you know, defeat of Romans 7. And I'll never forget his answer. He said, you thank your way out of Romans 7. And that's how you get in Romans 8. <laughs> and of course, it's right in the text. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And uh, there you have it, that realization of the futility and frustration of the flesh and that cry for deliverance. Paul rises in faith and says, I thank God, and then explains the details in Romans chapter 8. You see, the thanking reveals that you believe you have received. Remember years ago, it may have been the first, maybe the second time I went to the country of Myanmar. I've been there a number of times, uh, formerly called Burma. And that's that one that's getting slaughtered right now in the Civil War. But uh, I remember we had just had a conference and hundreds of people have came. Uh, some literally uh, walked uh, for several days to get on a train to, eat, to get there and that kind of thing. And we'd have sessions all day long and they're packed in like sardines and uh, no backs to their benches and, uh, and they would never fall asleep. It's just totally, totally amazing to me. Uh, these dear, dear people. Uh, the tallest one is like right here on, on my shoulder. I was a giant over there, you know. <laughs> Brother Sean, you really been a giant. But uh, at any rate, uh, we had this conference and there were hundreds of them there and it was just a precious time and of course there's interpreters and and uh, so on and uh, I remember uh, when it was all done they came uh, by just many of them scores of them and they're so kind and so gracious and they shake your hand and, and they bend over and they have this little move that's uh, just uh, so uh, sweet uh, people group but I remember this girl she was the age of one of the girls here and uh, she came up and of course I didn't know her language she was chin uh, she didn't know my language but she came by to shake my hand. And as her hand hit mine, I felt something in her hand. And her eyes looked up. She wanted me to know I'm giving you something. And of course, it was, uh, it was a monetary bill. Uh, that, and for them, that's sacrifice, I'm telling you. That's one of the poorest countries in the world. And she, she was giving me that loaded handshake and those eyes looking up. And she couldn't, she, she couldn't speak words, but she didn't have to. Her, her eyes spoke, and, and she wanted me to know that this was a gift and that I was receiving it. And whether or not she understood the word thank you, she could, understood, she could understand the communication of thank you as I uh, took that and just thank you, uh, for that precious gift. Well, see, the thank you means you believe you've got it. See, thanks be to God who's giving us the victory, our Lord Jesus Christ. So there it is. If he's giving, 
we are to be taking, and if we're courteous, you're grateful. See, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus was given the moment we got saved. But we often ignore him. We often ignore the provision. And so here you're acknowledging this gift. I thank God. And so that's what we're dealing with here. I call it the apex of faith. Where you know you have actually received. And so the through Jesus Christ at the end of Romans 7. Provides the basis for the after or literally the according to the spirit. That is expounded in Romans 8. In other words, the Holy Spirit brings the deliverance of Christ to the believer. Here we see the connection of Calvary and Pentecost. And so after a total silence regarding the Holy Spirit, uh, in Romans 7, 7 to 25, now in Romans 8, under inspiration, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 times. That's a lot. It's interesting, over the years, at times I've heard people say, oh, that's too much emphasis on the Holy Spirit. That's always puzzled me. How do you have too much emphasis on God? <laughs> now, obviously, if you were excluding the Father and the Son, that would be out of balance. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about getting back into balance. We're talking about what we saw last night, where an overreaction to uh, others who went to extreme, uh, many uh, began to ignore the Holy Spirit. That's got to stop because he is very critical in God's whole plan and provision. He is God, the Spirit, and so we need to acknowledge him uh, in the way that the Scripture puts him forth. You see, you can't be spiritual without the Holy Spirit. Any concept of spirituality that leaves out the Holy Spirit is a fake. It's an imitation. And so when people say that kind of thing, it shows me there's a misunderstanding of the whole picture and provision. Another thing that's interesting about Romans 8 is that the word for, just the simple word F-O-R, is used 17 times. In other words, this is like a math equation. This is, here's the truth, and because, and here's this truth, and, and then because, there's this, and then because, and for. And so it's, it's putting all this together. It's what Peter called, uh, you know, some of the things that that guy Paul wrote. <laughs> are hard to understand. They're like a math equation. Uh, it's really the meat of the word. But the truth is, when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, it becomes simple. Now, up until then, it's complex. But there is a complex side, and there's a simple side. So that's why we're asking the Holy Spirit to help us understand and uh, catch both sides of this. And that brings us to the uh, uh, statement there toward uh, uh, the bottom of page 29. Have you discovered the potential of spirit reliance through the life or Jesus' approach? Now... We're going to walk through some principles of faith. And I have a little comment at the bottom of page 29 that in the, uh, the text of Scripture, as I'm going to quote it, uh, occasionally you're going to see that the definite article, the, is going to be in brackets. When that is the case, it means that actually it's not there. Uh, when it's underlined, it's emphasizing that that actually is there in the text. Now, it's, uh, it's always there in English because it would sound funny without it. So it's rightly rendered. But we do believe in verbal inspiration, do we not? So there's a reason why at times the Holy Spirit, uh, who is the author, inserts this definite article before a person or a personification, as we're going to see, uh, emphasizing the person. And other times it's absent, emphasizing the quality of the person or the pers personification. In other words, we're going to see the word the before the name spirit. We're going to see it absent before the name spirit. That's Holy Spirit-ness. We're going to see that definite article, the, before the word flesh. And other times it's not going to be there. Now, friends, it's not random. It's not an accident. It's personifying flesh because, remember, the flesh is the turf for that guy, that master called indwelling sin. And when you see the flesh, it's actually referring uh, to that that part, that, that, that mastermind, that pull in us toward the triggers of temptation. And so when that's uh, the definite article's there, that's the emphasis. When it's absent, it's fleshliness. It's the quality of the flesh. And we'll see that as we move along tonight. So moving to the top of page 30, let's begin with the first principle of faith here in Romans 8, the basis of faith, emphasizing spirit dependence instead of flesh dependence. Now, Romans 5.2 says we have access by faith into this grace, this spirit enablement wherein we stand. 
Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's the rhema, the specific word of God. Now, we've got specific words right here that form the basis of faith for this life in the spirit. It begins with no condemnation. See, if you don't get that, you miss the rest of it because your head is down. And so it says in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Let me just stop her right there. Legally, as we say here, positionally, there is no condemnation before God when or the moment we get saved. And that's why we noted the other night that when a person goes to heaven, they go in with their head up. Not down. They go in with no condemnation. Even if they die on their worst day. They go in with no condemnation. What an amazing truth. So that's position. With the rest of the verse, it gets practical. Who walk not after, literally according to the power of the flesh, but after the power of the spirit. Practically speaking, there's no condemnation before ourselves when we walk in the Spirit. Now, even when we're not walking in the Spirit, there's no condemnation before God because of Jesus. We have an advocate, Jesus the righteous. But in our own eyes, when we're blowing it and failing and miserably, you know, wallowing in the mud and the dirt, uh, you know, our conscience is condemning us and everything else and so on. But when we're walking in the Spirit, there is no condemnation before ourselves. You see, faith is not a work. It depends upon the worker. And so as faith depends on the worker, it comes into union with the object of faith, Jesus, the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. No condemnation. There is liberty. So there's no condemnation. And then... There's counteraction. Now, this is an interesting word. Some of the writers who wrote articles in what's called the fundamentals a uh, hundred years ago uh, used the terminology, the principle of counteraction. We see this stated positionally in verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free, liberated me, freed me from the law of indwelling sin and death. So that is the principle of counteraction stated positionally. There's two laws, and one law is a greater law. It counteracts, it overcomes the lesser law. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus liberates us from the law of sin and death. Counteraction, where a greater law counteracts and overcomes a lesser law. I remember when I was in the sixth grade, we went back to Durango, Colorado, where I was born. And on the, uh, there was a ranch uh, that the, uh, some folk uh, had, some friends of my dad, and a 3,000-acre ranch. And they were, they were branding some cattle uh, when we were there. And so it was really neat. It, uh, uh, they had the fire going and uh, uh, the, uh, all these cows, you know, and they're, they're tying their legs together and all this stuff so they could brand them. And uh, uh, so they have those, uh, the branding irons, those, you know, uh, metal, uh, um, I don't know what they are, <laughs> metal stick uh, with the uh, shape of the brand uh, there at the end. And, of course, then they would stick that cold metal in that hot fire. And pretty soon the metal was no longer dark. It was red hot. As that iron went into the fire, the fire went into the iron. <laughs> and the hot overcame the cold. See, that's counteraction. Where a greater law counteracts and overcomes a lesser law. And friends, we need to understand, the Holy Spirit is in us. Now, we still have that sin master residing in the flesh part of us, the soul body level uh, uh, part of us, but... The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus is a far greater law to counteract and overcome that coldness of the law of sin and death. Let's move on. Verse 3 emphasizes the provision for what the law could not do in that it was weak through, now notice definite article, the flesh. Uh, there's that indwelling sin. He never does right. He only rebels against the law. We saw that last night. The flesh cannot obey. 
And so what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for or concerning sin condemned indwelling sin, now notice this, in the flesh. You see, indwelling sin, that's who? In the flesh, that's where? <laughs> Two of the negative entities. And the point is, since, Christ, since Jesus died unto sin for us, and therefore when we die, when we're placed into him in that death, that's when the real us is separated from indwelling sin. And because of that, and because our spirit has raised the new man, that's why Jesus can move in and live in our bodies, though they're not yet glorified. Because the part that he moves into is severed from indwelling sin. And that's why these bodies will ultimately be glorified because he did the work. All right, so then we see the purpose of it at the first part of verse 4. That, here's the purpose, the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Not law focus, but accessing Jesus through Jesus focus and therefore Jesus dependence. And when that happens, there's a right outcome because Christ is our righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1.30. In other words, when you focus on Jesus, you depend on Jesus. When you depend on Jesus, you experience Jesus. When you experience Jesus, you experience the righteous fulfillment of the law. Because Jesus always does right. When I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. We don't violate God's truth. And so that's when the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us. And it goes on to say, uh, because it's through faith, who walk not after the power of the flesh, but after the power of the Spirit. Now, I love the Bible word walk, because it's a simple word. We understand it. We walk. It's reiterated steps. That means walking after the Spirit or after the power, the leadership and enablement of the Spirit is simply one step at a time. But they are steps of dependence. And so position and provision become practice through the access of Spirit dependence. That word walk, again, it's very relational. Just as we walk and we talk, it's, it's a relational word. But as we walk in step with the Spirit, He leads us rightly, he empowers us for what he leads us, and that law of the Spirit overcomes the law of sin. A life vest has buoyancy that counteracts and overcomes the sinking tendency. When we ignore Jesus, we can sink really fast. In fact, we do. Isn't it amazing how you can be doing well and go down in a split second into anger? or whatever. You see, we have to keep putting on Jesus and the buoyancy of the life vest of Jesus continually counteracts and overcomes the sinking tendency. As soon as we ignore him as our life vest, down we go. And so we have here an emphasis in the first part of this of that foundation. The basis of faith is this spirit dependence that accesses spirit enablement. That brings us to the second uh, principle of faith, the focus of faith. Now, we've said a lot about focus, but let's say some more <laughs> uh, because it is so important. And, of course, it's right here in the text. Here we're going to see a contrast between spirit focus and spirit dependence from flesh focus and flesh dependence. Verse 5 indicates that the determining factor is focus. It's what we saw on Sunday night. We talked about your system of belief. Not what you say you believe, but what you really believe based on what you're really focusing on. Okay, so let's see what it says. For they that are after the... And, of course, that's in brackets, so it's, it's not there. Those who live according to the power of the flesh do mind. That is, they set their mind, see, focus, on the things of the flesh. Now, see the word things, it's typically never translated that. It's, it's rarely translated that. It's usually translated that or which or what. The idea is, those who live according to the power of the flesh, it's because they set their focus on what the flesh desires. Flesh life always follows flesh focus. But in contrast, they that are after, those who live according to the power of the Spirit, they set their minds, their focus 
is on what the spirit desires. Spirit life always follows spirit focus. So obviously focus makes the difference. And by the way, you can't have a split focus. Let's just jump to the matter of salvation for a second. If somebody is supposedly trusting Jesus as their Savior and their good works, are they saved? No, because a split trust, which is the result of a split focus, means there's a mistrust in Christ alone. It's like straddling two chairs. You're not really depending on either one of the chairs as a single chair because you're hanging on to the other one. So the split focus leads to the split trust, which reveals a mistrust in Christ alone. Now, people go to hell for that mistake. Apply it to sanctification. Jesus and. That's what we were describing the last several nights is this hybrid where we know, yeah, we've got to have the power of Jesus, but... Our focus is outcome, things, good stuff perhaps, but something other than him. It's a split focus, therefore it's a split trust. And that's why we don't have the power we're not, that, we're, that we're talking about. And so that's a very dangerous mistake. The focus has to be on a person, not an outcome or a list. If we focus on the outcome or list as our primary focus, or as our focus, or as even our split focus, then eventually you're going to be thinking, I'm going to blow it. It's only a matter of time. Because there's no power emanating from things. There's no power emanating from the list. The power is from the person. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. See, there's the power. And so if our focus is elsewhere, then uh, that's, eventually we're just going to get overwhelmed and think it's, you know, it's, oh, man, it's only a matter of time. You know, you can, you can be doing well for a few days and then all of a sudden you, you be, begin to sense I'm gonna, uh, it's not going to be long and I'm going to be blowing it. Why does that happen? Off focus. Because you're no longer looking at the sufficient one. And now you're looking at that which is not sufficient and you begin to sense, oh, wait a second, I'm going to go down. But if your focus is on Jesus, he is always sufficient. Amen. And friends, anytime we feel that, uh, that, 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 oh, I'm going to blow it again, that creeping in feeling, get your eyes back on Jesus, run to him. And the moment you do, Ah, yes, there's a lift in your spirit that is discernible as you recognize he is the all-sufficient one. I was preaching some years ago in Nova Scotia, and a, a new convert was coming to the meetings. And on one of the nights, we had a Q&A. And so she asked the question, because we were dealing with similar truth. It wasn't this serious, but it was similar truth. And she said, well, you know, uh, tomorrow I'm going to go to work. So how does what you're preaching, uh, how does that work tomorrow when I'm at work? <laughs> so we explained, well, you know, things happen. There are triggers and so forth. But uh, you look to Jesus. He is sufficient. He can enable you to respond to that ornery boss or he can enable you to respond to that abrasive comment somebody makes or whatever the case may be. She said, okay. Next night, I'm standing in the lobby. She comes in. She's radiant. She's just radiant. And she said, oh, she said it was a wonderful day. She said, not perfect, but a good day. I love her honesty. A good day. She said, just focus on Jesus not do's and don'ts, but a person. And she was reveling and resting. In other words, there's, you look unto Jesus and he authors faith. You look unto something other than Jesus and faith is out the door because it's in the wrong object. That's the simplicity of what we're talking about. But when you look to Jesus, he always leads you rightly. And so he leads, he leads you to do the right do's and don't the right don'ts make up a few uh, expressions as we go here and see if we can get it into Wikipedia. But at any rate, <laughs> you know, Jesus said that all the law depends on loving the Lord, the greatest commandment, and therefore loving your neighbor, the second. Now think about this. Without loving Jesus, there's no power for a righteous outcome. But with loving Jesus, we access his life and therefore his power to obey. So here's how it works. The commandments, 
plural, can only be fulfilled by fulfilling the greatest commandment and loving Jesus. Because when you love Jesus, you're choosing him, you're taking him. Oh, there it is. Take. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, that's loving Jesus. You're choosing him. You're taking him. And so there it is. Those commandments can only be fulfilled through the greatest commandment as we love Jesus. He's the leader. He's the enabler. And that's when it all plays out rightly. So letter B, they're in the middle of page 31. Let's get back to that. We have a contrast of the mindsets in verse 6. For to be carnally minded. Now, that's an interesting phrase. Uh, literally, uh, underneath those words is the idea of the mind of the flesh. Definite article there twice. Be carnally minded. What that is, is the mind of the flesh. Well, the mind of the flesh is indwelling sin. And it says that's death. Why? Because that part of us is what we got severed from. That part is the part of us that's totally separated from God who is life. That's why it's called death. But to be spiritually minded, again, literally, the mind of the spirit is life and peace. There is life himself. Then, in letter C, you have the futility of the flesh dependence in verses 7 and 8, because the carnal mind, again, literally, the mind of the flesh, notice flesh is personified there, is enmity, that is hostility against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Now, notice this next verse, verse 8, so then they that are in the flesh, literally in the power of the flesh, cannot please God. Until I understood the definite article and the significance of when it's inserted and when it's absent, that verse used to puzzle the fire out of me. Because here's this passage that's obviously to Christians in sanctification. And all of a sudden it says, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And nearly every commentary out there says, see, that guy's not saved. Well, wait a second. This is, this is, this is a Christian growth passage. It makes no sense to jump to that. Now, if it actually said that, then okay, that's what it says. But the definite article's not there. It's in so then those who are in the power of the flesh cannot please God. Look, every time you and I yield to that old sin master, though he's not our authority, every time we yield to the flesh, the works of the flesh are manifested. There's that hostility toward God. And when that's the case, we're in the power of the flesh, and we cannot please God. Even when we are trying to do right things in the power of the flesh, it's still flesh. Satan still wins. As long as it's not spirit, he doesn't care if it's irreligious flesh or religious flesh. And when we are in the power of the flesh, we can't please God. Only God meets the standard of God. That's why we need imputed righteousness in justification and imparted righteousness in sanctification. And so whether saved or unsaved, if it's the power of the flesh, you can't please God. But the flow of the context here is saved people who are tragically ignoring their provision. And they're obeying the mind of the flesh. And they're actually, though they're saved, putting themselves into a hostile position against God. That's what you and I do when we yield to the flesh. And when that's the case, we cannot please God. You see, the flesh never does right. Even if it looks religious, it's still self-righteousness, which is a filthy rag in God's sight. It doesn't even come close to God's standard. It's arrogance. It's hostile to God. In fact, the flesh never grows better. Now, it can grow, but only worse. You ever wondered why some good men at the end of their life have some tragic moments? See, for all of us, there are moments when we feed the flesh. There are other moments when we feed the spirit part of our being. The regenerated spirit based on the connection to the Holy Spirit. So when you grow in grace, it's because you're walking in the Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't grow, but your regenerated spirit, yes, that's where spiritual growth takes place. It's not the flesh growing. It's your new man, the regenerated spirit. And just as an acorn can be, in a certain sense, perfect as an acorn, it can grow into an oak tree. And the moment you get born again, that seed of God, that acorn of God is put into you. And it is perfect. It is his divine nature. But as you walk in the spirit, you can grow. That part of you can grow. That's where spiritual growth takes place. But the scary part is, is the flesh can grow too. So in the journey of life, 
If you're on this pathway of the flesh, that's what's growing. If you're on the pathway of the spirit, that's what's growing. And as we jump back and forth, you can see the, the growth in either one of those. Kind of scary. That's why we need to be walking in the spirit. Because the flesh is not able to please God in any way. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so we see here then the focus. How important it is to keep the focus on Jesus so that we walk in the spirit and not the flesh. That brings us to the third principle of faith, the explanation of the faith steps. That's really how we could say this. It's exercising spirit dependence. Now, you've got a typo there in letter A. It says trusting to. It should be trusting in the Spirit's leadership and power. Now, verse 9 is very interesting. It says, but ye. Now, when you see that, you've got to stop and say, who's the ye? <laughs> and uh, who's it talking about? And if you go to the preceding verses, you find out that the ye of verse 9 is the us of verse 4 who walk not according to the power of the flesh, but according to the power of the Spirit. Ah, so what he's about to say in verse 9, that ye is when us, when we are walking according, not to the flesh, but according to the power of the Spirit. And when that is the case, let's go on, in those moments... You're not in the power of the flesh. You're in the power of the Spirit. If, which is often translated since, the power of the Spirit in those moments because you are yielding to the Spirit is being imparted to you. And look at the next phrase. Now, if any man have not. See, some think, well, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not saved. Well, that's true. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not saved. But this is in the present tense. This isn't talking about salvation. It's saying... If you are not having, if you're not taking the provision of Jesus, he is none of his. In other words, you're not being his. You're not yielding to his lordship. Ah, this is talking about surrender, not salvation. That's important for us to understand. So the point is, when you are taking his provision, when you are yielding to him, you're loving him. You're trusting him. And when that's the case, he empowers you. Love, trust, and obey. There it is. Those are the steps. You choose Jesus. We spent a whole message on that two years ago. <laughs> on just loving Jesus, choosing Jesus. But when you choose Jesus, it means you're taking him. See, there's your next step. And when you take him, he empowers you. That means you have the power now to obey. You see, the Christian life is not just obey. Because you can attempt that in the flesh. It's trust to obey. Just obey is us trying to do right without the Spirit. It's arrogance. It's self-righteousness. But when we trust, then we access Him and He empowers us. I was in a meeting one time, uh, some years ago now. This is a long time ago. And uh, there's a little tiny church, and I could tell they... They, uh, they really they needed to grow, and they were burdened about that, and they had passed out flyers all over their town and so on. And uh, one night, a lady came in. She came running in. She, came run she was so excited. She comes running in, and she had this little booklet in her hand, and I uh, happened to find out it was by Bill Bright. He did understand the Spirit-filled life. And she said, Pastor, Pastor, she said, look at this, look at this. This author says that abiding is, is trusting, it's faith, it's dependence. She said, is that it? Is that what it means? Now, she said it like that because if that's what it means, there's hope. Because if abiding means faith, we can do it. If it's something other than faith, we'll fall short. And she goes, is that what it means? And he goes, no. <laughs> he said it just like that. He said, no. Abide means you just obey. And I'll be honest with you. I walked out of that lobby. I walked out into that churchyard and said, oh, God. Give me wisdom what to do here. Because he sent her out into struggle theology. He left Jesus. He left the Holy Spirit out. Meant well, understand. And so the next night, 
I preached on Galatians 2.20. <laughs> and the old stay in the basket illustration. And uh, snuck the word of Biden in there. <laughs> just barely. And uh, afterwards, she came out. She said, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. She said, I knew abidement dependence. <laughs> Don't tell the pastor. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> you see, friends, just obey. That leaves God out of it. It's trust to obey. So it's not just obey, nor is it just trust, because that's actually not trust. It's easy believism. It's trusting to obey. You see, it's the walk that we're dealing with here. And as you love Jesus and therefore take Jesus and therefore you obey, because now that you've taken him, he empowers you. That's when, letter B, you access the spirit of life and righteousness. Verse 10, and if Christ be in you, literally, if Christ in you, so in the contrast, because you are now accessing him through faith, that's when the mortal body is still dead because of indwelling sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. In other words, the body is still connected to indwelling sin. We got disconnected from indwelling sin, but the body's still connected, and therefore it's referred to as dead in that sense, as being separated from God who is life. Uh, that's why it still needs to be glorified. But... You and I can experience this life, let her see, experiencing the promise of the imparted life. But if the Spirit, the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, give life, revive your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Now ultimately that will fully be manifested when our bodies are glorified. But there is obviously that sense where as we depend on the Spirit right now, His leadership and His power, we access his life. And there's a quickening even in the sin-cursed body where we experience, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Ah. You see, it's taking Jesus. It's choosing him, thus taking him. And that's when he empowers us to obey. Remember another dear lady in Canada. This was just a couple of years ago. Uh, she uh, had several young children, and uh, so we were dealing with some of this, and she wrote the, called the pastor's wife that night and said, hey, I don't quite understand what Brother John's saying, but uh, I, I, I think I might, but I, I got some questions for him. She said, well, he'll be glad to talk to you tomorrow night. So uh, the next night, she, uh, uh, we had a fellowship after the service, so we're, we're downstairs in their building, just kind of like yours, and, and she comes up to me, and she said, uh, now I have several children. She points to a little toddler girl over there. She said, you see that one there, that little girl? She said, that one's mine. She said, and this is how she said it, that one cries. And the implication was, and it irritates the fire out of me. <laughs> she said, now you said last night, you know, we're, we're, we're to choose Jesus. In other words, we, we, we take Jesus and say thank you. <laughs> she was listening. <laughs> she said, so, okay. She said, this morning. She said, it's always in the morning. She said, we got up, and she said, that one was crying. And she said, I remembered what she said. And she said, Jesus, I'm taking you. <laughs> this is how she spoke it. She said, thank you. <laughs> Her face softened, and she said, you know, I was at peace. I said, that's it. She goes, that's it? <laughs> I said, well, normally you're not at peace. Normally you're irritated and impatient. I said, you're at peace. You just experienced Jesus. She said, I did. <laughs> I said, yes. She said, you mean it's not just for preachers? <laughs> no, I think the non-preachers get this a whole lot better. She got it. It's funny. I was back at her church a couple of months ago, and I told that story. She was downstairs in the nursery. <laughs> I thought, well, I'm just going to tell it. I tell it in every other church. I'm going to tell it in this church. And they all figured out, oh, that's Francois. <laughs> And so afterwards, she came up the stairs and said, hey, Francois, you're famous. <laughs> but, you know, there's the simplicity of it. Jesus, <laughs> I love her the way she worded, I'm thank you, thank you. <laughs> but as she verbalized faith, she accessed grace. She accessed life. You see, that's the gospel to the saints. She experienced the peace of Jesus. And that's how it works, whether it's the need of purity or love or patience or whatever the case. And that brings us to that fourth principle of faith, the obligation of faith, realizing our indebtedness to the Holy Spirit. 
Look at verse 12, top of the next page. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, and we think it's going to say, to the Spirit. But instead it words it this way, not to the flesh, to live after the power of the flesh. And the implication is, yes, we are debtors to the Spirit, to live according to the power of the Spirit. As I mentioned earlier this week, Christianity is the only religion where the founder moves right into the hearts of the followers. And friends, we're debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, but to the Spirit, to live after the Spirit. What an amazing provision. And so verse 13, verse 13 takes the positional truth of counteraction from verse 2 and states it practically. For if you live after the power of the flesh, you shall die. In other words, you experience the death part by yielding to that part of you that's apart from God who is life. But if you, through the power of the Spirit, do mortify, put to death the deeds of the body, flesh indulgence, you'll live. You see, that law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath freed us from the law of sin and death. So if you, through the spirit, do say no to the flesh, then the flesh is deprived of its power. The body of sin is destroyed. It's de deprived of its power. And you live. You experience the life of Jesus. See, that simple cooperation of faith accesses that counteraction by the spirit. I see some of you have specs on. I wear, of course, glasses. I, I, uh, I remember when we discovered that I needed glasses. We were in the city of Chicago. Uh, we actually lived in the city for several years and then moved out to the suburbs. But we were, we were down in the city somewhere, and, and it was nighttime, and, you know, everything's lit up and all these different signs and, and so forth. And my mom's looking down the street, and she said, oh, there's a, and she named some store that was down the way. And I looked at that sign, and I couldn't read it. I said, you can read that? She looked back at me and says, you can't? <laughs> John, you need glasses. Well, since that day, I've been wearing glasses. And I started off with wire rims, even though they were condemned in those days. I've always had a little streak of nonconformity. <laughs> but I uh, hope it's nonconformity and not rebellion. But at any rate, uh, so I had my, uh, my wire rims. Now they don't even have the rims. <laughs> but uh, these are really light. I love these things. But I'm nearsighted. So, you know, when I pull my glasses off, you become a blur. And this is a wonderful opportunity for you to go to sleep, <laughs> without my knowing it, that is. And, uh, you know, uh, I can't see. I can see that you have bodies. I can see that your bodies have heads. <laughs> but I cannot see whether or not your eyes are open or closed. But when I put on my glasses, the law of corrective lenses counteracts and overcomes the law of nearsightedness. Everything is clear again. I can see. But it doesn't cure me because if I take my glasses off, in other words, stop depending on the provision, then it's all back to a blur again. But as long as I depend on the provision of the glasses, then the law of corrective lenses keeps counteracting and overcoming the law of nearsightedness. And I can see again. And yes, we can see when we're up here. <laughs> we could write books on what we see. I've written several books. I haven't written one on this yet, but it would be funny. <laughs> you know, did you, ever, did you ever stop to think that just as you can sit out there and look up here and see us, <laughs> that we can stand up here and look out there and see you? <laughs> it's amazing what we see. I've seen some yawns that were so big, I thought it was like, you know, the Charlie Brown head, <laughs> you know, with the mouth open. I thought the head was going to pop right off. Uh, uh, <laughs> I've seen shoes fly out in the aisle. I think, well, what in the world is going on over there? <laughs> I've seen people doing things that I cannot describe. <laughs> Thinking, good grief, <laughs> don't you have any sense of shame? <laughs> Back to the message. <laughs> But as long as I'm wearing my glasses, there's the greater law. And friends, as long as we depend on our provision of Jesus, <laughs> the greater law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus counteracts and overcomes the law of sin and death. So, loving Jesus, you're taking him. Thank you, Jesus. And now he empowers you to act, and thus you can trust to obey. 
That brings us to the fifth principle, and we'll just hit the highlights. In fact, we'll skip a lot of this. Uh, for time's sake, I planned it that way. But there's a number of privileges that are given in the rest of uh, the chapter here as we experience the inheritance of the Spirit. I do want us to look at this first one especially, though. The divine adoption, this is verse 14. For as many as are led by the power of the Spirit, in other words, his leadership, his, his enablement, they are the sons of God. Now, that's not your word for an infant like in the sense of being born again, John 3. That is the word that means a mature son. It's a word that uh, is dealing with uh, what we call in theology adoption, and that's a Bible word as well. You see, when you're born again as an infant, a newborn babe into Christ, at the same time you're adopted in as a mature child with all the access rights to the inheritance. So even the brand new babe in Christ has the adoption whereby as a mature son they can access the inheritance of the Spirit. That's an amazing verse. And notice when you understand this, that you have access rights to the inheritance now. Not a matter of fear, it's a matter of love. Look at verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption. There's the word that ties into the word son. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now if you're law focused, you end up with fear. How long will it be till I blow it again? Hell, what's God going to do to me if I go down again? How many times will he forgive me? I bet you he'll stop after a while and I'll just get crushed. And the reality is there are settings of Christianity where that's how people treat each other. And there are some people that are never allowed to rise into grace because they're blacklisted. It's because grace is not even understood in those settings. Oh, you did such and such. You're forever bad. What if God did that to us? We'd all be in hell, including them. See, and all of that produces this fear paradigm. You know, walking down with your head down. And, uh, you know, I hope I can fake it. I hope people can't see what's really going on. <laughs> and so on. It's that system dependence. And uh, it's tragic. But that's not what we're talking about. No, we're talking about the love of God. You're adopted in. You are not only his child by birth. You're adopted in with the access rights to the inheritance right now. You don't have to be defeated. And so it's not a matter of being rejected, but accepted. Verse 16, now the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. In other words, when you realize, wait a second, I am accepted. He bears witness to that. But when you think, oh, I've blown it so bad, it'll be a while before God bless me again. He won't bear witness to that. He only bears witness to truth. He's the Spirit of truth. I remember I uh, was in a setting where I was talking to a, a young mother, a young lady. Uh, she was married, and, and I knew in her college years uh, she had been in a setting where um, maybe there is not the focus on the person. And uh, I said, hey, how did it go school? And uh, she said, do you really want to know? It was interesting, her tone of voice. She wasn't angry. And I turned around. She was in the back seat. I was in the front seat of the car. Someone else was driving. I said, y yes, I do. She said, you know, I just felt like I could never measure up. Now, that is the tragic testimony of many people in many settings, whether it's churches or institutions, because if the focus is on something other than Jesus, then we're not accepted because we don't always pull it off. <laughs> but you know, when you're a child of God, you are accepted in the beloved, not because of your perfect performance, but because of His. And because you're in Him, you're accepted. Isn't that a wonderful truth? It really is. And so, verse 17 not as a slave, but as an heir. And if children, then heirs. See, tying into this inheritance thing. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Uh, heirs on the one hand of God. Heirs, fellow heirs on the other hand of Christ. If, or literally since, 
we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. In other words, if we're to share his glory, we share his suffering. And ultimately, because we often think of it in certain physical terms, but it's more than that, as we see in the top of the next page, the suffering with Christ is the crucified life. They're saying no to indwelling sin. They're saying no to that pull of that old master, the pull of the flesh, and so on. There's a second privilege, an expectant hope. I'm going to bypass that. That's a, that's a glorious section that deals with the, the future. And then there's a third privilege, empowered intercession. Let's jump to that one for a second. That one's amazing how the Spirit helps our infirmities so that we pray right. You know, when you go to the Spirit, He will lead you in prayer. That's where we actually started this meeting on the creative Word of God on Sunday morning. It seems so long ago. It's like, huh, that's like meetings ago. But it was just Sunday. <laughs> Uh, where you get the mind of the Spirit. And uh, yes, he guides us according to the will of God. And then you have a fourth privilege, that overruling providence. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. See, there's that love choice again. R.A. Torrey calls this a soft pillow for a tired heart. <laughs> but you know, sometimes there are things that happen. Sometimes it's because of our choices. Sometimes it's because of somebody else's choices. And we get affected. And you know, when you love God, he can work those things for good. Isn't that amazing? He's the master chess player. Only God can do that. So much more could be said. Top of the next page. For whom he did for no, he also did predestinate, not to salvation, but to be conformed to the image of a son. Did you know that predestination is not dealing with salvation? <laughs> the word is used only twice, and it's being conformed to the image of a son. Once you're in Christ, <laughs> then you're predestined to be conformed to the image of a son. You can accelerate it now by walking by faith, but ultimately, yes, we will be changed into his uh, image uh, when we shall be like him, for we shall see him as, as he is. But God wants that sanctification process to start now, this side of heaven. And then there is the fifth privilege. Let's read this last portion as we wrap this up. What shall we say then to these things in the context of suffering? If God be for us, who can be? For thy sake we are killed all the day long, counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, even in her case, we are more than conquerors. She's with Jesus right now. Through him that loved us, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in Romans 8, in 39 verses, you go from no condemnation to no separation. What an amazing text of Scripture. God is not distant. We are not separated. We are joined. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. And so even on a bad day, he doesn't leave us or forsake us. We are joined to him. Now let's wrap this up. With all of this provision, we have the infinite wisdom of, of the new leader, Christ in us, and the infinite power 
of the new enabler, Christ in us. Now, friends, if we have in, infinite wisdom and infinite power in the person of Jesus in us, why in the world wouldn't we surrender to him? Why are we afraid of yielding, back to that word in Romans 6, to him? See, it's because we have a wrong view. We think he's going to choose something bad. So we don't think he's that wise. We think we're wiser. You know, young people always curse thinking of the prospects of marriage someday. I'm sure you young people never think of this. <laughs> we're thinking, yeah, but man, if I yield to the Lord, you know, what if he makes me marry a witch? <laughs> you ever think that? <laughs> he's a good God. <laughs> You know, the Holy Spirit's practical. My dad used to say, you know, John, when you're considering who to marry, uh, there's a lot of things to consider, but he says, you know, you do need to be attracted to her. I thought, oh, what a wise man. <laughs> well, the Holy Spirit's practical. But we get afraid. One lady said to me in Alabama, she said, oh, man, if I surrender to the Lord, he might call me to Africa. Well, why does Africa get the bum rap? <laughs> Do you know, I used to, you know, I'm a city kid, you know, I didn't like bugs and all that kind of stuff. But I've been on a lot of foreign fields. Now, I don't have to stay there, but, <laughs> uh, but I've been there, and there's a lot of bugs. But, you know, when, when you're doing what God wants you to do, it's an adventure. I mean, I used to be a picky eater. I mean, like, really picky. But, you know, when you travel overseas, man, you better change your mind because, you, you know, you don't know what's that. <laughs> you have no idea what's being served. I've never seen this vegetable before in my life. I hope it's a vegetable. Uh, <laughs> But you know, God gives you a heart for it. My point is, we are surrendering to the one who has infinite wisdom. He knows what he's doing, and infinite power, and infinite love. This is our Father. He wants what's best for us. And so, may we yield to him as our leader and power source. F.B. Meyer said when he heard this message, it was at the old Keswick Convention, and he was struggling. And he walked out, and it was misty. It's often misty in that part of the world. And walking up the hill, there was no great ethereal feelings, no ecstasy of joy. <laughs> but when he finally came to that point of saying, God, I'm willing for you to make me willing, he said, I took by faith. Jesus. And friends, we wouldn't know his name except for that moment. God began to work the change. and He continued to keep taking. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And he's one of the finest articulators of sanctification by faith that you'll ever read. So tonight, we're needed. Let's thank our way out of Romans 7 to experience God.